Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the week's most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and I am joined today by Senior Business Reporter Rachel Sapin and John Fiorillo, Executive Editor. Hello, you two. So let's dive right in. Uh, It's been another busy, crazy week in seafood, and of course, we have to pick just a couple of topics. We can't hit on them all. Um, so we decided we'd hit on uh, on uh, one that dominated the news um, this week, uh, Atlantic Sapphire. For those of you that don't know who Atlantic Sapphire is, Atlantic Sapphire is, um, is the largest company producing land-based farm salmon. They're doing this, uh, some volumes in Denmark, but their big project is uh in miami florida or outside miami florida a city called homestead florida and the project that they're producing or a project that they're um that they're spearheading and and and, uh and building there uh is is going to be massive that's their long-term plans anyway uh and they've already spent a lot of money uh they have had to uh, go back to the banks and ask for for more money um and and it's been um it's been trial and error for the group um as they've been upfront about that it is it is a startup there is high risk that said there's been a lot of exuberance about Atlantic Sapphire among the investment community um they've got some long-term stable backers um behind them um but then you know like like any share that's exciting they have a lot of people that have jumped in um and and driven the the share up to um levels that are astronomical for a company that hasn't uh really produced more than a few truckloads of of salmon anyway this week was not a good week for atlantic sapphire and it may have implications for what happens with the land-based salmon farming uh industry going forward as all things atlantic sapphire kind of do because everyone's looking to see if atlantic sapphire can succeed not just from a biological perspective but from a financial perspective and a lot of the money that's been raised um for these massive land-based salmon farming projects that are completely unproven has come from people pointing to atlantic sapphire and its market valuation uh, and I think a, a lot of investors, a lot of uh, companies that are that are looking to um, get investment have um, have seen this is a gold rush. Investors are excited about it, and they've been able to raise a lot of money. So, with all that said, uh, Rachel, I'll send it over to you to tell us a little bit about what happened uh, this week uh, in Miami. Maybe starting with earlier in the week when they had. Um, yet another another mishap yeah um atlantic sapphire it sounds like around tuesday is when the um the uh fire department the miami-dade county fire department uh did get a call that three employees um, needed to be lifted 40 feet um out of a tank at the atlantic sapphire blue house facility and um yeah it was just uh, at the time we didn't really know what was going on. Remember, we couldn't remember if they'd fallen. Um, it kind of sounded like that from the police report. Uh, we later learned from the company they hadn't fallen, um, that they had been kind of uh, not following safety protocols and they were in an empty tank at the bottom of the tank. And um, it was, I guess, uh, 
a subcontractor working for Atlantic Sapphire, um, and they weren't following all of the confined space safety protocols, according to the company. Um, I know the U.S. Occupational Health and Safety Administration is now looking into what happened. Um, I, I'm sure that uh, fire and police officials are still um, investigating, but I know that um, the uh, the people that did uh, get sent to the hospital um, that two of the three workers have been released and um, I don't think anyone is in serious condition at this point. Um, and that's about as much as I know about it at this point. Um, if anyone else wants to add anything. No, I mean, I think when, when it comes to the, the accident, I think you, you have, you know, uh, told the listeners everything that we know about it. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's never a good week when, and you have to, um, deal with with workers at your operations going to the hospital. Thankfully, two of them are out of the hospital now, uh, according to the the CEO Johan Andreas. And um, I'm not sure what the status of the third person is. Um, it's it's has happened in the past. We've reported on this in the past of um, especially these tanks. Um, gases build up, um, you know, from effluent and other things. Um, they're at the bottom of these tanks, and you need to go clean them. But when, as you said, Rachel, you don't take uh, precautions on uh, confined spaces, those gases can very, very quickly overcome you. Um, I don't know the exact gases that were involved um, when these things happen, but um, anyway. Um, but it can be very serious, and I, it's it's fortunate that they were found, and or, or you know, fortunate that that somehow. Um, people discovered that, that this was happening because um, certainly they could have died quite quite easily. Um, you know, and I think that that what's interesting to me is this is uh, the the CEO came out and and said what you had mentioned, Rachel, that they weren't following safety protocols. Um, you know, there there's a uh, you know, this is this is maybe the second time, the second sort of mishap that's happened in the matter of a few weeks. They had a um, a fairly sizable die-off not not too long ago. I think it was last month, I believe. And you know, companies need to take responsibility for things. Um, and there's always there needs to be investigations and understanding of things. But another part of the news this week was that Atlantic Sapphire dropped uh, Billund Aquaculture, which is um, a Danish land-based uh, equipment supplier. And you know, Billund, it seems like they're they're it's a little unclear, but it looks like there may be some legal action taken on the part of uh, Atlantic Sapphire, at least some claims made uh, on Atlantic Sapphire's part to Billund, and um, we're just kind of in the early stage of investigating that. But well, what concerns me a little bit is that, you know, these are when a company is kind of pointing to other people making the mistakes, you can't really do that that much. <laughs> you can't really get away with that because, um, you know, What's the, the the term? I don't know how we would make it apply here. The buck stops here. I don't know how we would seafood that up, but anyway, um, you know there there are uh, when it comes to these issues, the the blame does lie squarely with the the company itself. So it's it's just one more one more thing that um, I think is raising questions in investors' minds of how how much control does the company have over 
uh, over this project, over what they're doing. Um, there's reasonable questions. It's reasonable for investors to be asking about that. Now, um, I, I'll just quickly, though, that wasn't the worst thing that happened to Atlantic Sapphire this week, actually. Um, worst, thing, worst thing that happened to those, uh, to those workers, for sure. But for Atlantic Sapphire, from a financial perspective, I should clarify, um, their uh, first quarter earnings were uh, were a, a real um, a real shocker, and um, you know the the investment community did not like this. They called it a lost quarter uh, when they presented uh, their their earnings. Um, you know, they their uh, biomass was was down, of course, after losing those those fish uh, in late March. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge for the company, um, if not even impossible for them to hit some of their projections, uh, coming through the year. Um, there's now questions about, you know, are they going to get the premium that they're after all of these things? Investors got really spooked by, by what they, uh, saw in this report, I think coupled with the, the, uh, March die off. And then I, I don't know that it played a huge role, but I do think the, the, the workers um, being hospitalized certainly sort of indicates maybe some some lack of um, some concern over how much control that uh, managers have in the, uh, over the situation. So anyway, we reported um, $240 million uh, in market cap was sliced off of Atlantic Sapphire in a matter of 24 hours, $10 million an hour for those of you that um, – that no math. So um, that is rough. Um, right. Bouncing the ball over into your court, John, what, what do you think is, is, uh, is going to happen here? Well, I mean, the first quarter operational update that they released is, is what has me uh, concerned the most. And I'm sorry about the people who got hurt. I don't mean to diminish that, but from a company perspective, this operational update was not good at all. First of all, they produced 421 metric tons of salmon in the first quarter. That's not much. That's below their projections. But more disconcerting is the thing, the problems they're they're experiencing, and those they highlight are uh, er, uh, maturation, uh, early maturation of the fish, uh, reduced signs of growth and a high feed conversion rate. Those generally are signs of stress in the environment, in the fish raising environment. So, you know, those problems cannot continue. Those problems have to be addressed because like you said a second ago, Drew, it's just a domino effect. You know, the biomass doesn't reach the size you're telling people it's going to reach thus you can't produce the amount of fish you promised and the fish you're producing is likely smaller <laughs> than what you promised thus it can't get the premium that you promised i mean it is a, a cascading effect so with that said it's it's clear it should be clear to investors now that um, the company didn't have all the answers going into this and, and they're pioneers and that can be excused to some degree, but th there's really a lot of trial and error going on here from the way it sounds right now. And 
Um, they're bringing, you know, like you said, they kind of kick Bill into the curb and they're bringing in in-house uh, expertise, a uh, lot of it in uh, water quality um, to kind of take it to the next step. We'll see. I mean, like you said, you know, you, you eventually might run out of people to blame. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this goes to something that we've been writing about um, multiple times, which is, um, I, I hearken back to a piece. I mean, Rachel, you've written all kinds of uh, stories about the U.S. Uh, um, land-based salmon farming sector. Um, but one one recent piece, John, of yours that I'll, I'll highlight is you interviewed um, Taste of BC Aqua Farms, small little um, steelhead, right? Farmer in uh, British Columbia. Yep. And also uh, local coho, um, whose actual company name is Finger Lakes Fish, right? Mm -hmm. I, wow, yep. tw two in a row. Um, You're good today. But, uh, You're I'm good today. But uh, <laughs> local coho and uh, Taste of BC, these are small, small operations. Um, and, you know, the, the, the people that have been, um, have been uh, operating in these companies, they've actually raised fish. They've actually brought fish to market. Now, Atlantic Sapphire has as well, to be fair. But there's, you know, there's a lot that can go wrong. And, and tell me about your interviews with those two executives, uh, um, Phil Gibson and Steve Atkinson, and, and what they had to say about uh, growing land-based salmon and the realities of it. Yeah, I mean, one of their first points was, you know, all these companies and Sapphire, uh, but other companies that have basically just rolled out projects, you know, schematics of what they're going to do and maybe done some early construction. They're getting tons of money, whereas the smaller guys, uh, such as those two, who actually have, like you said, been producing and selling salmon in, in small amounts. We're talking about 250 tons for Taste of BC, I believe, and uh, you know, 20 or 30 tons for uh, local coho. Now, what they believe they've done over many, many years is finally kind of worked out all the kinks. And these are the kinks that we're seeing uh, Sapphire having to work out, although on a much grander schedule, so or a, a much grander size. So um, it's just interesting because when you talk to uh, Steve, for example, at Taste of BC, I, I mean, he, you know, he made the point over and over and over again. If you can't execute the pilot project flawlessly for, I think he said, three cohort, cohorts of salmon, about three generations, if you will, but that's not exactly what it is. But um, then you shouldn't be ramping up. And um, so, you know, I mean... <laughs> They don't have a lot of money, so they're ramping up slowly, obviously. And and Sa people like Sapphire have a lot of money, so they've got their foot on the gas pedal. But at the end of the day, the problems are the same for both. Only Sapphires are magnified because of the scale they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're now among the top 10 largest seafood companies in the world, or, or at least top 20. 
Uh, by market cap. By market cap, exactly. Which, by, you by know, production, I mean, you know, let's look at local coho. How many do you say the 20 metric tons a year or something like that? I think they did. Well, I think last year they did 22. I mean, they're looking at, you know, quite a bit more than that. I think, oh, I don't, I'd, I think 30,000 when all things are done. I could be wrong on that number, but, you know, um, small right now. Yeah. 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 I mean, okay. So let's look at that just just from um again i will attempt math but it was 21 so so local coho tried and was unsuccessful in in going to um to a crowdfunding site to raise money for their project they were asking for i think around three million dollars i believe something around there for a 21 percent equity stake or roughly 20 percent equity stake in the company um they're producing fish. They're producing 5% of what uh, Atlantic Sapphire produced in the first quarter. Um, and $3 million gets you a 21% stake in that company. So <laughs> gives you a sense that there is some, you know, and obviously local coho is small, 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 small. So we're, we're you know, I'm doing this to make a point, maybe being a little bit unfair. But um, Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that, that Atlantic Sapphire has a lot of money on the line, a lot of money at stake, um, and every little uh, every little thing that they that they do is going to be uh, it's going to be scrutinized. Rachel, you've talked, um, like I said, you've covered land based salmon um, a lot uh, over the past few years, um, and and in particular, you've talked to Nordic Aqua Farms there and there, um, and and what they're doing in Maine and also in in Humboldt County in California, but. What's your take on on the different style of approaches? You think it it, it, it you know in just my conversations um, with Eric Haim, who's the CEO of Nordic Aqua Farms USA, it, you know they're much more cautious in how they're approaching their their project. And I'm just you know starting to it just becomes clear to me that maybe that is is going to separate separate out maybe some of the winners and losers is is scaling up slowly. I don't know. Yeah, I just think, um, you know, I've had a lot more experience um, working with Nordic Aqua Farms over um, Atlantic Sapphire, so I can't say I, I know quite um, all of the differences operationally, but um, I know for Nordic Aqua Farms, I mean, they also are not producing in the U.S., um, which is a difference. They have a totally different operating system than Atlantic Sapphire. They actually, you know, are piping some uh, water out of their system versus Atlantic Sapphire has its own kind of technology, right? Um, so I think that um, from what I can tell, uh, you know, Nordic Aqua Farms is a careful company and they are very much about going through, you know, all of the permitting and, and site selection process. But, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen how their production actually works in the U.S. Um, so I think at this point it's just hard to compare, you know, um, them to Atlantic Sapphire um, just because the two companies are in different stages here in the U.S. Because um, I know Atlantic Sapphire also did a lot of due diligence and, um, you know, how it approached its Florida site. Um, but I just think it just comes down to yeah, they're, you know, kind of two different models and they're in two different parts of the country. Um, so at this point, I don't know if Atlantic Sapphire can give us many clues into how Nordic Aqua Farms is going to work. 
Well, I, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I will say one thing, though. I think what we're learning um, across the board from all the land-based guys, and if I was an investor, this would be where I would focus at the moment. The, the timelines that these companies have been giving out for when they're going to produce X number of metric tons, a lot of them are the timelines are coming due next year and 2024. The way it feels to me is those those targets, production targets they've been talking about, um, I don't think we're going to see those from probably any of them in the time frames that they've set forth uh, initially that, you know, we're kind of working off right now. It feels to me like a lot of this is trial and error and it's unique to each farm, each water, you know, each source of water. And, and it feels like it's just going to be a lot longer slog than um, initially thought. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's like you said, John, I think the, the projections that have been laid out in recent years of how much of the U S market can be served by, land-based salmon i mean those are starting to look more and more <laughs> um provisional i guess you could say mm-hmm. so you know and, and yeah as you mentioned i think the the tech um for these systems is is also unproven um that we'll see if if things go to court or or how this all works out with with bill and um we'll see it, where the fault might lie but then again you know even even how whatever the 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 cause was for the die off and this there was an early harvest uh in the middle of last year because of um uh Atlantic Sapphire said that was due to construction uh, noise and vibrations and they've had a die off at uh in Denmark so you know these are all different systems, different reasons for having uh, problems, and you know I I think that um, yeah I, I think that there's there's a lot of uh, belief in systems that are at the scale that we're talking about uh, way way uh, unproven, um, but you know it is um, it's it's something you said it earlier john these are pioneers they're doing something that's never been done before on this scale and you know that is admirable um but um but there there does seem to be somewhat of a disconnect between the investor enthusiasm and what's actually um being produced and going to be produced so well yeah and i think that's the thing i think sapphire kind of set this expectation with investors and and now everybody's kind of uh, under that umbrella but you know this is not to diminish the work all these companies are doing and i mean they are pioneers and uh you know i certainly hope that they're successful in the long run because um that would uh that would help with markets in the u.s and, and other places but um, I just, I just think the expectations are starting to get um, refocused a little bit, and a little realism is is dripping in. You know, I mean, it, it's yeah, it, it's exciting, and there's a lot of money out there that is is ready to be put into um, into uh, more green production, food production systems. 
Um, and and land-based aquaculture really fits the bill for what people are are looking for in one sense. But you know, I I do feel it whether it's the industry's fault or just sort of a lack of awareness. There there is, um, you know, the aquaculture industry I think is going to have to to figure out how they can make a case, and they're they're trying, but they're going to need to be able to make a case to uh, investors focused on environmental and and social uh, issues, uh, which will be more and more important um, for for lenders and for investors. Um, they're going to need to, to see if they can position the sector in a way that aquaculture is seen as an alternative for that, um, as an option for that. Conventional aquaculture, not just land-based aquaculture, because land-based has a long, long timeline. There are existing uh, ways to grow fish that have been improved dramatically over the years. If there was that kind of investor enthusiasm in the conventional aquaculture sector, you could probably see a lot of in innovations happening really, really, really quickly to make mm -hmm. those industries um, really doing do, do some interesting things. So maybe people will start to um, kind of take a look and, and say, gee, I wonder if maybe my money won't be better spent in other places and technologies or, uh, you know, or, or other ways to, um, to green up the industry. Um, mm -hmm. With that uh, in mind, on that same topic, uh, we talked earlier before we started the podcast. We think this will be the last podcast that we'll talk about Seaspiracy. Uh, <laughs> we don't know. We think it's sort of, I, I think it's maybe sort of played its arc out. But then every time I think that, you know, something new happens here or, or I get a text from a friend asking me, you know, telling me they've watched the film and they want to know whether they're eating the wrong fish or whatever the case may be. So um, it's it's still there. Um, but let's uh, let's pretend we're coming to the end and looking ahead um, to what comes next for um, for the the Seaspiracy team or what comes next for. How the industry is scrutinized. John, you um, took this on in a column um, today, a Friday, and um, tell us what you think. Um, you think there is a very specific uh, target that that could be next? Well, I do. I uh, <clears throat> I was on uh, the Seaspiracy Instagram page yesterday. And I noticed uh, a kind of a brand new post uh, with the title, Why Shrimp Farming is Completely Messed Up. <laughs> okay, so that kind of set the tone and I looked through, it's like a seven slide post and it just, it just, as anybody who knows the shrimp industry can imagine, it just levels all these um, terrible scenarios about how shrimp is uh shrimp farming's ruining the planet um you know it's it's a form of slavery in many countries uh you know on and on and on a lot of the things that have been out there for quite a while some of them legit and uh being dealt with but you know it has the same tenor and tone as sea spiracy where it's just it's gonna roll out a lot of these, um, you know, these claims that sound terrible and, you know, they're kind of half true. And 
So anyways, I saw that and I thought, oh, okay, maybe this is going to be the sequel to, um, to Seaspiracy. And it could be, it, it may not be. Uh, obviously, the industry would prefer not to have to go through this, but, uh, and I have no knowledge whether they're working on this or, or not, but, um, you know, it would, it would kind of make sense to me because I think they, they got a lot of positive feedback and there's a, there's a video of interview with, uh, the director and his wife, who is also a director of the film. And you can sense from this video and it's in the column that we posted. You can sense from this video how empowered they they feel from the feedback they're getting. And, you know, I mean, if you have a successful venture, usually you try and capitalize on that. So that that's kind of, that's what I'm thinking may happen. And again, I have no knowledge that it will or it won't. It's just me kind of you know, reading the tea leaves. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. You know, it has been, and we've talked about this with Seaspiracy already, is it I, an, in addition to um, kind of a lot of scientists pushing back against some of those claims, there's also, there's been so much good journalism done on some of these topics. Um you know, there, there's still a lot to be addressed in, uh, in shrimp farming. Um, but there has been really excellent work by the AP and the Guardian looking into these things that have led to some fantastic reforms. Um, mm -hmm. I think you can see what Thai Union uh, has done uh, over the past decade which really was prompted by those investigations. And it's a good, it's a good lesson. Um, I'm not saying Thai Union is doing everything perfectly, um, but it's a good lesson of how companies can react to criticism in a really, really positive way. And it's not just lip service. They've really uh, gotten involved in a lot of uh, efforts, spearheaded a lot of things, um, a lot of sustainable um, projects, uh, sustainability projects. And it's just, it's an example of how um, a company can take, um, can take an issue uh, that's uncovered and say, okay, let's roll up our sleeves and, and fix this. And companies can have an incredible effect on that. They can have an effect on their peers. Um, other companies can, you know, kind of see, oh, hey, what's Thai Union doing here? Maybe we should make some moves like this. So, um you know, there there can be some some good that can come come out of this um, come out of this kind of focus and this kind of journalism. The question, of course, will be how um, how Seaspiracy, how the the directors look at something like that if they do indeed pursue uh, something along those lines. But um, there's plenty of plenty of fodder to look at in the shrimp industry if you wanted to go over what the um, what the complaints are and if they do kind of a similar job of sort of using kind of internet research to um as the basis for what what they um you know for what what they want to highlight then that that um could make for a really a a lot of uh, a lot of uh sleepless nights for the shrimp farming industry um, mm -hmm. i'm curious too rachel what you know just in in your sort of circle of of people of of friends and things um, how many people are, are, what's been the reaction just in sort of, 
you among your circle of people to see spiracy and have they reached out to you and what have been their their questions and um yeah i'm just curious if if you two have experienced the same thing i have with um people people finally taking an interest in my career <laughs> um yeah it's been somewhat similar i mean i've just had um you know a few friends and family it hasn't been like a crazy uh, barrage of questions or anything but um i have had some friends and family reach out and be like oh um you know what are fish farms and you know what is uh what is this issue with plastics and do you cover the um killing of the whales in uh norway and <laughs> just like you know everything that documentary covered and um yeah, I guess you're right. It is nice because it does um, kind of get people interested in the topic. Um, but yeah, I kind of, uh, you know, I don't think it was, I don't know. My uh, my friends and family are, luckily, a lot of my friends and family are pretty critical thinkers. So didn't have to like, you know, <laughs> have any of them disown me or something for, for what I report on. But um, yeah, I basically had a, a very similar reaction to uh, what you what you saw. Right, right. And it's, a, what is it? It's uh, retweets or not endorsements or something like that, you know? So you can just say, <laughs> we just work here. All right. We, we do not, we do not. Yeah. I'm whales. not friends with anybody on either side. So I don't know where that puts me. Just yeah, in that just, lonely journalist role. Yeah, and just, but... just makes us, just makes us journalists. <laughs> That's basically where... it. Yeah, yeah, this just makes it where everybody hates us. So exactly, um, yeah, right we where say. we want to be. <laughs> that was that was very sad footage from that film. I definitely, I was definitely the most like that's probably the thing I watched the closest on it because that that was uh it was a really interesting part of the documentary too. It was like the one time where I felt like he let his source like complicate um Ali, where he let the source complicate the story a bit, which I thought. Oh, this is actually getting good, but then it like ended weirdly, so we didn't get into <laughs> kind of any of that. Anyways. Yeah, same same thing to you though, John. Have you had a lot of people ask you about it, or is this kind of like you think petering out and on we move to something else? Uh, initially, yeah, probably the same experience that uh, Rachel just described. A lot of my friends called and said hey do you did you see this it's all about fishing you know ooh, it looks bad uh, the, the biggest takeaway most of my friends had was the same as what rachel mentioned was the whales and the dolphins hmm. for some reason that really uh you know that caught well i know why but it caused a real visceral reaction in in a lot of the people who called me you know that i know that to talk about it so um yeah, I mean, I mean, it's hard to watch dolphins and whales getting, you know, slaughtered. So it makes sense. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's been about the same. But you know, it was it was strong right away on the twenty fourth in that week when the when the uh, documentary rolled out. But you know, I don't, I haven't heard much kind of since then. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, been similar with with me. A lot of people are asking about it, and yeah, you're right. It has been a lot of it. Um, I, I think focused on uh, yeah, it, it it has been interesting. Different different friends um, have talked about have been interested in different things. So one was salmon farming, which is possibly the worst section of the whole um, 
that was clearly slapped in later. Um, salmon farming has yeah. loads of things that you can examine, loads of things you can criticize, but come on. Um, yeah, you, you, you can't just, just slap it in like that. So, um, yeah, but, but it's, uh, it's, you know, these are all issues that do need to be looked at. And I think for the industry, you know, again, we've talked about this in the last podcast, uh, and in our, on our pages that, um, Yes, there is much to criticize. Yes, the messenger uh, did not do a great job of of contextualizing all this, um, and the scientific community um, came out very strongly uh, against some of these findings, which is really interesting to see. But um, let's not pretend that there these issues um, of overfishing. Uh, in some parts of the world and whaling and, and killing of marine mammals and all these things, those are always going to stay in the industry until they ultimately get addressed because it it's horrible. Um, whaling, I don't know. I mean, if it's legal whaling, hey, I don't know. I, it, it's a, it's, I, I have a sort of mixed, a more mixed view on that, to be honest. Um, Man, I my inbox just filled with me saying that. <laughs> but uh, but I I mean I I think that um you're not you're not gonna get out you you, you stop digging the hole will you? But I, I do want to say one last thing about this and and you know a lot of work ha- is going on has gone on will go on in uh, dealing with some of the issues or all of the issues that have been brought up, not just by Seaspiracy. They, they just regurgitated, you know, stuff that has been out in, in the atmosphere for a long time. But the implication of that particular show was nothing's being done. There's no observers. Observers are paid off, blah, 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 blah. A lot is being done by companies all the time and governments, you know, it, but this is complex. This is the ocean, for heaven's sakes. You know, it, it's a big place. <laughs> it's it's the nuance is tough, you know, and that's the hard thing is people like to like certainty, and there's way too much nuance um, in these types of issues because there are fisheries that are incredibly well managed and have been for years that are healthy. Um, there's, uh, a, a lot of the aquaculture that's being produced has done really well, has been, been, being done, uh, really well and in a really sophisticated level and has been improving dramatically over the past two decades. I mean, um, I cannot tell you some of the, uh, some of the improvements that have been made. It's been really remarkable, but again, there's always bad actors, and that nuance is really, really um, hard to deal with. But um, yeah, but maybe Seaspiracy has been put to bed uh, for a while because it is amazing how short our attention spans are. If we were more like dolphins, I think dolphins have longer attention spans than we do. But um, but I think it's it's maybe in a way run its course, and then yeah, I think you're right, John. And the next is. Uh, shrimp spiracy or some other kind of spiracy which um i will also watch and i will also prepare myself for rachel because i will know that i'll have to take notes and be ready to write about it um so if there is a shrimp spiracy yes we will be covering it but we're looking forward next week to maybe having a little less uh seaspiracy a little less atlantic sapphire maybe and we'll find plenty of other things to uh to write about but hey, it's what we do. So, 
Um, again, we're equal opportunity uh, offenders. So anyway, all right, folks, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thanks, John and Rachel. Just a reminder on Tuesday and Wednesday, that is April 20th and 21st, we have our Aquaculture Innovation Summit, and we're really excited about this. We've got a really unique set of speakers that are going to be joining us. Um, really interesting folks. John's going to be moderating a panel. I'll be moderating a couple of panels. Uh, Rachel Mutter will be moderating a panel. So we're, we're really excited to, um, to hear from these people. So you can go to intrafishevents.com, uh, find it there and register for, uh, the event, uh, there. And, uh, and we hope you'll join us. All right, folks, that's it. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>